Hello everyone, this is the Shiloh podcast. I'm Rosie Dawson and in this episode I'm going to be sharing with you a project funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council called Abusing God, Reading the Bible in a Me Too Age. The two scholars behind this project are Kirsty Cobb, a lecturer in Biblical Studies at Cliff College, a Christian theological college in Derbyshire, and Holly Morse, Senior Lecturer in Bible, Gender and Culture at the University of Manchester. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hi. Hello. Before we look at the Abusing God project in particular, just tell me a little bit about your collaboration and how it began. Kirsty, do you want to start? Yes, thank you. It's it's great to be here. Um, with the um collaboration with me and Holly, it all kind of started um when I was uh, doing a course on gender at Cliff College, and I would be bringing to students all these kind of wonderful things that biblical scholars had discovered. And often, what I would get is the students would just look at me and say, "Well, this is brilliant. Why haven't we heard about this anywhere else?" And this kind of discrepancy um between um, a kind of academic discoveries and what was happening on the ground um, looked quite large uh, to me. So it was from there then that I contacted Holly because what I absolutely wanted to do was to find a way to try to bridge that gap uh, between uh, uh, church practitioners and charity practitioners, all the wonderful experience and practice that they could bring to the table and between academics who had all these mountains of knowledge but doesn't necessarily always trickle down anywhere. And that is when we then started the BGC, the Bible, Gender and Church. We'll come to that in a minute, but I I just want to um, ask a little bit more about this discrepancy, because you're saying all these things that scholars are discovering and your students are saying we didn't know about that. What were the things in particular? You described them as wonderful, and I I wondered if they were. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, maybe that was the wrong word. Um, What we we were kind of discovering there is that, um, well, one of the obvious ones was when I was talking about women in leadership, and uh, I was uh, looking at some of the uh, uh, famous Pauline passages that kind of say, you know, women shouldn't do this or that or something else. And uh, I was saying that, well, hey, here are a couple of other ways that this could be approached, and students would be like, oh, wow. Uh, we haven't heard about this or what about this or something else. And uh, But I mean, those were probably more than wonderful discoveries, but then there were the ones that weren't so wonderful, um, which would be like my ex, um, expertise lies in the book of Hosea in part. And that is something that when I teach the students, a lot of them are absolutely horrified when we actually look at how violent um, some of those passages actually are. Holly, just tell us about Kirsty getting in touch and then if you would tell us about this uh, BCRG. Yeah, sure. Um, so Kirsty got in touch with me and I'm, I'm actually Kirsty and I had known each other for a long time. We've been going to the Society for Old Testament Study uh, conference from being like MA students. So we, we were great friends and, and it's really lovely to have the opportunity to work together. But Kirsty got in touch with me and yeah, wanted to um, kind of create a space where we could think about this intersection between academia, all the stuff that was going on about the study of gender and particularly gender based violence and abuse that both of us have kind of worked on and you know how that's being kind of spoken about in churches, in charity context, Christian charity contexts and really trying to address this gap between academia and the real world and so you know I was really excited to do that and to think about the way that our two institutions might be able to kind of support that, me being in uh, Manchester University, Kirsty at Cliff College um, and so uh, we decided to take that forward and we initially formalised our first sort of like round of work of, around this uh, through the Bible, Gender and Church Research um, uh, group that we set up. And the aim of that was really to, we started small. 
<laughs> and so we wanted to do an annual talk um, from an academic, but for an open audience that was addressing some of the issues that we were particularly concerned around, um, including sexism within the church and um, the church's sort of responses to uh, gender-based violence. But you're from a very different kind of institution um, than Kirsty. I mean, both academic, but Kirsty's in a, a Christian context. You're in a context that's not specifically Christian. Did you identify that same discrepancy? Or did your students identify that as well? Yeah, so there are a couple of ways in which I had thought about that kind of gap before. Um, one is when students might come forward to me and sort of talk about their Christian background. And often I teach a course on uh, gender and sexuality in the Bible. Uh, and I can, I would say almost annually, and I've been teaching it for six years now, somebody will come and say, I was brought up in a Christian context where I went to a Christian school and I'd never heard about these texts to do with women who are prophets or um, uh, things about marriage that I thought were really kind of normative in Christianity, but actually don't really appear, particularly in the Hebrew Bible, which is where I spend most of my time. So that's one way in which I was quite aware that there was this kind of gap between what I was doing as an academic and then what was going on outside of the university. But also I was very conscious that as biblical scholars, I think we have for a long time within our discipline sort of aimed for some kind of objectivity that's, I think, part of the study of the arts and humanities or was part of the study of the arts and humanities, thanks to a sort of like 19th century and enlightenment sort of legacy. You know, you take your personal out uh, of your study of things like religion and the Bible. And as a feminist scholar, I'm really interested in putting myself into the study of the Bible and religion. And so, you know, I wanted to think about ways that our work together might be able to address some of that and sort of think quite critically about why we feel that we always need to remove um, sort of faith and faith experiences from the study of the Bible in, a, in an academic context, particularly within biblical studies. So, Kirsty, you've already mentioned that you work on Hosea. Um, just tell us, I mean, very briefly, what the readings are of that text that you're sharing with your students and how they might respond to them? Uh, yes, um, with Hosea, I specifically look at Hosea 1 to 3, which is the one of the f famous kind of marriage metaphor passages where Hosea is told by God to uh, marry a promiscuous woman. And this is somehow a metaphor of God's relationship with Israel. And uh, yeah, I, I go over several readings to do with uh, violence and gender. Now that is depicted in the text. I look at uh, ways to understand the text through um, trauma theory. And in one of my re most recent projects, I've also looked at people who have um, written novels about uh, Jose and Goma and how they're filled in those gaps. So I do look at them from quite a lot of different angles. I think the study has gone, come a long way. I mean, it's a long time since I was at university, but my Old Testament tutor, Hosea was his favourite text because it was you know, about God's amazing love. Um, Holly, you're reading Old Testament passages... I think from the viewpoint or through the lens of sort of um, contemporary revenge porn, slut shaming and so on. Tell us which text you're looking at. Yeah, sure. So um, quite close to the time that Kirsty and I set up the Bible, Gender and Church Research Centre, um, I wrote a paper um, for a, a collection of essays about women in exile. And I started to look at Ezekiel 16 and 23, which are also part of that sort of cycle of marriage metaphor texts. And 
one of the things that I was really anxious about, and that speaks partly to what your point was, Rosie, before, is that often these texts, people just go, oh, they're just a metaphor. You know, we don't need to worry about the violence. We don't need to worry about the abuse that we find. And they're just a metaphor. Uh, and ultimately, it's a message about God's kind of love, because there's, there tends to be some sort of redemptive thing that happens at the end of that relationship. But what really struck me was the kind of realness of the interaction between God and the metaphorical wife in terms of the way that God was interacting with um, his wife um, who he perceived to have been promiscuous and adulterous uh, and the ways in which he punishes her which are sexual uh, and really quite disturbing um, for me really closely resonate with things that we're seeing going on today in abusive contexts particularly around revenge porn which is obviously now specifically acknowledged as a crime uh, and also slut shaming um, and victim blaming so that that's where I was looking at it so I, I was kind of speaking into some of those things as well. And that brings us very nicely to the title of your project, Abusing God. It's a brilliant title, but it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's double-edged. Yeah, well, I, I can't take credit for the title um, because I think Kirsty came up with the title, but I thought it was brilliant because for me, it holds multiple possibilities about the sorts of things that we want to talk about. Uh, on my first listening to the title, I was thinking, OK, yeah, well, so we're talking about the way that actually people that might use scripture to support support um, abusive women, to support uh, you know, male dominance are themselves abusing God. Um, but at the same time, both Kirsty and I work on texts in which God plays a, a really kind of difficult, uncomfortable, questionable role in relation to the abuse of women. So, you know, we, I felt that Kirsty had absolutely landed on something that allowed us to kind of talk about both of those things simultaneously. So the, tell, tell me about this project. You've had, you've got two colloquia. One you've already had. The other one is coming up on Saturday. Tell me about the first one. So the aim of the project was to create space and time and resource for academics and practitioners to actually talk to each other about research issues, um, because this is what we found was re really kind of difficult for people. Um, and so the kind of the I guess it might be helpful to talk briefly about the structure of the colloquium. So in the run up to the colloquium, what we did was we, we sent out a call for papers around the theme of coercive control for the first uh, for the first um, event. And this was some, this was a theme within the abusing God kind of remit that we identified with some of our stakeholders, including kind of Christian charities, particularly uh, who work with survivors of uh, domestic abuse and gender based violence. Um, and so what we wanted to do was to, to make a space where we could have something that was, was genuinely collaborative, but wasn't too top down where we were saying, well, this is what collaboration looks like. You've got to co-write something together. So basically, we just found this way where we paired people that we ha felt had kind of thematic shared interests in papers that they'd already independently written. So they, they had their own space as individual uh, speakers. And then we put them into conversation with one another. They spent three months uh, meeting uh, weekly, uh, uh, sorry, monthly uh, to um, kind of have a conversation about their, their own ideas, their, the things that they were working on. Um, and then they uh, presented um, collaboratively as well, both in terms of their independent papers um, and um, uh, their reflections. Um, and the result was really interesting. We had some folks that um, did end up writing in response genuinely to the collaborations that we set up. In other instances, we had people that were generating lots of interesting research questions for things that they'd like to address in the future around coercive control and the reading of scripture and sacred texts. Um, 
and then in other instances we had a sort of somewhere in between that th those two things um so the the actual event itself was really interesting and, and i think quite different than a, a, a regular conference because it was mostly about dialogue and conversation rather than about sort of final reading of chapters and papers kirstie i don't know if I've probably missed quite a lot of intellectual in information. <laughs> no, you've, you've sum summarised that quite quite nicely. What I personally found um, about the conference that for me was quite interesting was just how much fruit the, uh, this kind of collaboration could bear when people from two important realms of life and um, both are looking at the same text are brought together and that when they can talk to one another and when they can look at each other's work, how that can really generate really interesting and I, I would dare to say even groundbreaking um, research because it is not just now academia, it's not just practice, it is actually trying to bring the two together and I, I, that was the feeling I had in the conference in general. Have you got an example either of you? So I guess at the kind of um, uh, sort of most collaborative end of the spectrum uh, we were quite excited to have Press Red um, oh. who uh, are a charity that work to um, uh, prevent uh, violence against women and girls, um, deliver a play which they have written, which is an educational play called Control, um, that was written by Matt Britton, um, which is a kind of, they, they described it as an applied theatre approach to engaging the church with the issue of coercive control. So that was really challenging, but a really interesting way to, to have Matt kind of deliver what he wanted to say as a practitioner um, about uh, coercive control. And he also provided sort of reflection about how he'd sort of gone about writing the play. Um, and uh, Katie Cross, um, who um, is an academic, wrote a response to this play, um, thinking about some of the theological legitimation of domestic abuse through the lens of control the play. So we had this kind of really kind of interesting interweaving of practice and kind of address to um, uh, church communities, especially being built into and responded uh, to by an academic um, working in the field of theology. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in the fact that the AHRC fund this project, Kersey, because I think some people might think um, that they would only be interested in funding something that was purely academic. Were you surprised that they agreed to fund this? I think I was a little surprised, but now later in the day, not so much anymore, because AHRC has also been funding other similar projects. And there does seem to be a lot of interest now in this kind of impact of, of the Bible in the lives of people who actually believe it and live and breathe it. And so there are a lot of research going on in this area. So maybe it's just that it's the right time now to be doing this. And we just uh, happen to be striking where the iron is hot right now. Were you surprised, Holly? Um, I don't think I was surprised because I had the sense that the HRC were wanting to, particularly interested in things like knowledge exchange and, as you say, impact. Um, so I'm not sure that I was surprised, but I was really happy that the kind of networking aspect of the project did really come through for us. And it seemed like that's what they really wanted to support was this kind of conversation that helped the research that they were funding in an academic context kind of go out and speak into the world. So I think it's a really great thing. I suppose um, going on from that, um there's a notion that the Shiloh um, project is exploring um, about, you know, scholars as activists. I mean, do you see yourselves as activists? 
Um, I definitely do. <laughs> um, I don't think I did to begin with. Uh, I think to begin with, I was just a kind of a scholar interested in relevant topics. But the more I have been um, studying kind of gender-based violence and all of these kind of um, quite challenging texts, I think even just doing the research and making people aware that already is activism. So I've kind of become quite passionate about um, people actually being aware of these issues and that they are real. So at the very least on that level, I would definitely say that I'm an activist. Holly? Um, yeah, I guess I've always seen myself as a feminist scholar. So within that, there's there's some kind of part of that that means that I've always felt that what my research was doing was in some way engaged with activism. But I think like Kersey, initially, particularly like when I was doing my PhD, I felt this sort of dissatisfaction that it wasn't connecting. And I, I felt quite strong sort of anxiety, actually, about who was going to be able to access the research that I was doing, how I could actually make the change that I was hoping it would make or feed into or be part of. Um, and so having an opportunity like this uh, is feels really kind of significant and, and I feel really kind of lucky to be able to be working in this way. And I just hope that we continue to be funded and supported to be scholar activists as we go forward. I mean, Kersey mentioned something about it being... Um you know, of the moment, you know, there's a lot of this work around at the moment. Or do you ever think that it's a, a little bit too crowded a field? I mean, do you think that, you know... I mean, I personally would uh, jump, jump onto that. I uh, um, I once was talking with a female scholar at a conference who had written a, a book on gender in the Bible, and she basically got a comment from another scholar saying, oh, why are you bothering to write another one? And... Uh, I have, I tend to have the kind of response that says, um, can there be too many commentaries on Genesis? I mean, if I was writing commentary on Genesis, no one would say, oh, why are you bothering? But at the moment, I think this is an area that, yes, there is a lot of research going on, but can there ever be too much? I mean, this is such an under-researched area um, where I think maybe in a hundred years' time we can talk about this again if there is too much, but I think it is something that we need to be looking into. That comment about the Genesis commentary is just spot on. But also, I guess the other thing is that the more you research, the better the questions that you ask become. Like the more, it's a, I feel that it's really generative to have lots of conversations and lots of kind of cross-pollination of different ideas. And my sense is that actually we are always moving forward in terms of how we're thinking about, we might be thinking broadly about the same kinds of issues to do with gender-based violence, um, to do with abuse, to do with um, sacred texts, but that conversation is always moving forward and always changing. So I don't think it's crowded, or if it is crowded, it's nice. <laughs> it's a nice crowd. It's a good crowd. So you've got another colloquium coming up. It's on Saturday. Holly, what's it about? Yeah, so this uh, next colloquium is about hypermasculinity. And again, this was something that um, when we were talking to stakeholders, they felt that it was really important that we talk. Um, when we're talking about the experience of survivors, we also talk about the fact that you know, um, the majority of gender-based violence is perpetrated by men against women. And so we wanted a space to kind of think about how readings of sacred texts, practices within Christian communities actually feed into that, um, that you know, that, that kind of dynamic. Is the sort of study of um, masculinity in the text, is it, it's just a little bit behind? Is it? I mean, it's a, it's a little bit more recent than um, the, the reading of the text of terror. Am I right? Yes, yeah, you are absolutely right. Um, 
I think the um, the study into masculinity, it has really only gained prominence in the last, would I be right to say about 30 years or so? It kind of started trickling in and has gained prominence. No? Yeah, I think Are less. I think, your head? I think less, less, really. I would say actively probably about 10 years. I, I, I guess, though, that actually in some ways we have always been studying it, but just not directly. Because for all of the texts where we look at the way that women are treated abusively by men, male characters, um, however you'd want to describe folks that are appearing in the biblical text, you know, we are ultimately talking about masculine behaviours as well as feminine experiences or women's experiences. So in some ways it's kind of always been there, but it hasn't actually been brought to the surface until quite recently. And there's something very, um, I think, resonant with that and what goes on today societally about the hiddenness of gender-based violence and domestic abuse and particularly like discussions around um, you know masculinities that are responsible for that yeah yeah very interesting so um, just just give me a couple of headlines about um, Saturday's event Okay, so the main theme of Saturday, as we said, is hypermasculinity. So the first panel is focusing on a kind of intersection of discussion around um, uh, family life, Christian family life, and how masculinity plays into that. Uh, and also the way that language is really kind of core to the creation of Christian masculinities, sometimes problematic and, and sometimes not. Uh, the second panel is kind of building on some of this idea about sort of um, rhetoric and the way that uh, masculinity is used actually to kind of shape um, uh, Christian men's experiences and, and how Christian men's experiences is shaped by notions of masculinity within Christianity and, and sacred texts. Uh, and then the third, we're looking particularly at the masculinity of Jesus and placing that into kind of conversation with a paper about patriarchal belief systems in high control uh, religious organisations. I hope there are going to be a lot of men there. I hope so too. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, are there any spaces to the left? Online there are. Right. Okay, everybody. There are a couple. There are some spaces left online. Get on it. Google Abusing God Colloquium Manchester 22nd of April. Um, and I'm going to be there. And if the participants are willing, I'll be sharing an audio snapshot of the day with you all soon afterwards. Thank you very much, Kirsty. Thank you very much, Holly. That's all for the Shiloh podcast for now. Say bye. 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 <laughs> bye. Thanks very much, Rachel.